Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 to 14 of Luke chapter 18. You'll find it on page 877 of the Pew Bibles, page 877. Uh, We're going to read two parables, but we're only going to be thinking about one of them. We're going to read the parable of the persistent widow, and then we're also going to read the the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And that second parable is the parable that we're going to be focusing on together this morning. So Luke 18, beginning at verse 1, it's page 877 of the Pew Bibles, and this is God's word to us. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke 18. You'll find it on page 877 of the Pew Bibles, page 877. And as you're turning to that parable, let's pray for a moment together. Father, we thank you for all of the truths that we have just been singing. We thank you that you are our solid rock, that you are our salvation, that you are our comfort our refuge, and our sure foundation. And we thank you that your word is a sure foundation for us as we seek to live as your followers in this world. And we pray now that by your spirit, you would come and help us to understand this well-known parable, to see it with fresh eyes, and to exalt our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray all these things. Amen. Well, this morning we're turning to a story, uh, a part of the Bible that will be familiar and known to most of us. Uh, This is part of the challenge of looking at a parable like this. We all know what it means, or we think we know what it means, 
I want us to think about it in a fresh way this morning and hopefully we'll see the shock of what Jesus is teaching here. We're looking at the second parable, uh, not the first, the, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Uh, the, the thing about parables is that there is a certain shock value to them that we perhaps don't recognize or see. In, in our world today, there are people who say outrageous things just to get some attention. Uh, Piers Morgan, Don, Donald Trump, uh, others like them. They, they, they say things that don't necessarily line up with the order of the day, and that generates some publicity. A question that's worth us asking or thinking about is, what would it have been like to have heard Jesus live? What would, it, what would it have been like to have heard Jesus live? What would it have been like for us to have heard Jesus tell this parable? Je Jesus is different to everyone who has ever lived in that he is perfect. So we can say that he didn't just say outrageous things to have all the attention on him. What would it have been like to have heard the Savior to have been in close proximity as Jesus was teaching and preaching? Well, it would have been absolutely electrifying. It would have been magnetic. You, you know that feeling when you're listening to someone preach and you just cannot not listen? You're completely transfixed in a sense. Your whole attention is in what the preacher's saying. If that's what it's like to listen to a flawed jar of clay, a, a broken sinner who's merely the mouthpiece of God, then what must it have been like to listen to Jesus, to hear his voice, to listen to his gracious words, to digest his penetrating application, it would have been absolutely electrifying. What we're gonna look at this morning is a parable of Jesus. And the parables are stories that Jesus told while he was on earth. But broadly speaking, he told two different types of parable. The first type are comparative parables, where he compared the kingdom of God to something earthly so that we would understand its extent. Let me give you an example. In Matthew 13, 45 and 46, Jesus told this parable. It's really short. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in the search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So it's a comparative parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of some fine pearls. When the merchant finds the pearls, he gives up everything so that he can inherit the kingdom of God. The, the other type of parable can be, for want of a better title, be called this. Who gets saved parables? Parables about salvation. Parables about how you become a Christian. Parables about what it means to be a Christian. That, that's the type of parable that we have in front of us this morning. The, the title I've given this little parable today is Two Men Go to Church, Who Gets Saved? Two men go to church, who gets saved? We're going to try and think about this parable in a fresh way this morning. We all know it. We've all heard it preached. Maybe it was the parable that the Lord used to save us. Maybe it's a parable that we haven't looked at or thought about in a while. It's going to take us to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. In terms of structure, this sermon's a little bit different. We're going to try and understand the parable. And then towards the end, we'll have a couple of points of application. The point of the parable is given explicitly to us in verse 9. Luke tells us that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So some people think that they're righteous and what Jesus is going to expose is the fact that they're not. The content of the parable comes in verses 10 to 13. Let's read it again together. Two men went up into the temple to pray 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. One of the things that's often said about this parable is that the two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, are very different. They're polar opposites. They are, and we're going to see that in a moment. But they're similar too. And as we ease our way into this story, let me point out some similarities between these two men. The first similarity is that the two men go to the temple in Jerusalem. In other words, both of them belong to the same church. For our modern minds, let's call it First Jerusalem Presbyterian Church. You'll notice that they went up into the temple. Luke tells us they went up. Wherever you were in Jerusalem, you had to literally go up into the temple because the the temple was situated on an elevated mount with the rest of Jerusalem below it. Both of them go to the same service as well. They, They were probably participating in the official daily prayers of the temple. These took place twice daily in morning and in the evening. The the evening could also have been mid to late afternoon. They're probably at the second service. So far seeing the tax collector up in the temple and they're probably at the second service, the evening service. But both of the men take up what we might call notable positions. Notable notable because the the Pharisee stands at the front uh, and anyone who was leading the service would have noticed him. The, The Pharisee wouldn't have been missed. You, you would have been able to see him. But the tax collector stays at the back. He's a proper Presbyterian. Back row, verse 13 tells us that he doesn't even sit down. They, they, they both had notable positions. If you had been there, if you had been at Jesus' imaginary temple service, and if you were watching people instead of praying, you would have spotted both men. One at the front, one at the back. The next similarity is that they're both at the temple doing the same thing. They're both praying. Now, the content of their prayers is very different, and we're going to come to that, but they're both in the temple to pray. And the final similarity is that they're talking to the same God. They're talking to Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, the sovereign Lord of the universe. They're in the temple to approach him. There are more similarities between these two men than you might think, But there are some big differences. There are fewer differences than similarities, but the differences define the men in spiritual terms. The the Pharisees were were the really religious people of Jesus' day. They took religion very, very seriously. The, the, The word Pharisee means set apart, and that's the kind of life they lived. They were set apart from everyone else. You get a sense of that in the parable. Pharisees separated themselves from the ordinary people, the people of the earth, and singularly devoted themselves to righteousness, to obeying the law, and they were meticulous, meticulous in their daily devotion to spiritual duties. They also dressed differently, uh, differently from everyone else, and they were well-respected within the wider community. There's an arrogance to the Pharisee in this little parable. You get the sense that he's right and everyone else is wrong. What about tax collectors? Well, tax collectors were the opposite. They were outcasts and traitors. Here's why. 
When the Romans imposed taxes on people they conquered, they hired people from the conquered nation to go to their own people and collect oppressive taxes. So tax collectors worked for the enemy and took money from their friends. They were particularly hated because they got commission for working for Rome. Rome set the tax rate and tax collectors were also allowed to add in a levy of their own to cover their own costs. They could make the levy whatever they wanted. So they got rich on the commission they made from serving Rome against their own people. People hated tax collectors. When they saw them in the street, their hearts would have been filled with hatred and fury. In Jesus' parable, these two men walk into the temple and the question is, who gets saved? To help us answer that question, I want you to imagine that both men stay behind after the service and say that they want to become members. They want to become members of First Jerusalem Presbyterian Church. Now you know how the membership process works because you're familiar with it in our context. There are some membership classes and after those, there's an interview with the elders. Let's imagine that the Pharisee and the tax collector are being interviewed. The Pharisee goes first, of course he does. He's in a room surrounded by elders. He's in his different clothes. And here's the first question. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Joe Pharisee. I grew up in the North. My family were very religious. We were very faithful and religion was and is a big part of my life. I'm married with three children and we've just moved to Jerusalem. How regularly did you attend your previous church? Oh, every week, morning and evening. It's, a, it's an essential part of my week. I, I just wouldn't miss. In terms of your faith, do you, do you have a, a daily routine that you follow a, a pattern to your days? Well, I, I read the Bible every day. I pray every day. Generally, I would say that I take my faith quite seriously. What, what spiritual disciplines do you find most helpful? Well, it's funny that you should ask me that because I've just finished a fast. Yeah, I, I fast twice a week. I, I know that you don't need to do that. You, you maybe only fast once a year, but I think it's important to do on a regular basis. We, we, we like to ask this question. Is there any reason you couldn't become a member here? Is there any public sin that we should know about or you want to make us aware of? No, no, there's, there's nothing like that in my life. There's no public sin. It's funny that you asked that. I was in the temple last weekend and I walked past someone and I just thought to myself, here but for the grace of God go I. But becoming a member here involves giving your time and resources. How do you feel about that? Well, again, funny you ask. In my previous, pre previous church, I tithed. I actually gave tithes of all that I get, not just money. So I tithe the grain and some vegetables that I grow at home. I just think you should give something back. Everyone in the room is very impressed. They're thinking, this, this guy, this, this guy is going to be a real asset for us. Then there's the tax collector. He comes to the membership interview in a flash suit. Now remember, he's rich because he's taken other people's money. And the elders in First Jerusalem Presbyterian Church are a bit edgy, nervous about how this is going to go. First question, t t tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Jimmy, tax collector. I'm originally from up the country, moved down here to study, and I never moved home. I ended up in taxidermy, and that's been my career for about 20 years now. 
How, how regularly did you attend your previous church? Um, uh, to, to, to be honest, I haven't really been about church for a while. I, I, I grew up in a family that went to church every week, but as soon as I moved down to Jerusalem, well, I kind of stopped going. Wanted to wanted to do other things, and I wanted, wanted to live a little. Do you, do you know anything about what goes on in a church? Have you ever been to a Bible study or a, or a prayer meeting? I, I know about things like that. I could kind of guess what happens, but as I've said, I haven't really been involved in a church for a long time. Okay, is, is there anything in your life that might harm the reputation of our church? Well, that's a difficult question. You'll know that Taxidermy is controversial. We're not the most popular people in the world. I was involved in an issue that went to court. You might have read about it in the papers. It's, it's all sorted now. It's been dealt with. I've also had some personal issues. My, my marriage has broken down, but I'm trying to do my best to support the kids. By this point, no one is looking at them. Everyone's looking at the floor. Listen, th- th- thanks so much for your honesty and for, for answering those questions. You, you, you've talked about things that I'm sure are difficult and raw. Two men go to church. Who gets saved? On the evidence we have so far, it's a slam dunk. It's the Pharisee. There are at least six reasons for him to be accepted into membership in First Jerusalem Presbyterian Church. He's disciplined in prayer, he's thankful, he's living a changed life, he's different from other people, he lives a better life than other people, namely tax collectors, and he's more like the people in the room, the people who are asking the questions. On the other hand, there are at least six reasons why the tax collector shouldn't be accepted. He's an extortioner, he's unjust in terms of his dealings with others, he's probably an adulterer, he can't look God in the face, it's his first time in the temple in years, and he doesn't know how to pray. It's a slam dunk. It's crystal clear. But there's one final question in the membership interview. Here's how it goes for the Pharisee. Thank you so much for your answers. It's been a joy to listen to them and to hear about your life. We've we've one final question for you. In this church, we believe that to be a member, you have to trust the Lord. When did that happen for you? And there's silence. And after the silence, the Pharisee says, what? What, 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 what do you mean? What? what? When, when did you trust and believe in the Lord? Are, are you serious? Is, it, is that a serious question? Are, are you really asking me that? Do you, do you ask people here that? Tr- trust, trust the Lord? Really? Haven't you heard my answers? Haven't I told you about all that I do? I fast more than I need to. I tithe more than I have to. I pray. I'm better than other people. And, and you're asking me that? To be honest, that question's insulting. I, I'm insulted by that question. When did you trust the Lord? Are you for real? Silence. Everyone in the room is stunned. Then there's the tax collector. Have you ever trusted the Lord? Hmm. I'm glad you asked, because that's what I wanted to explain. At this, po- at this point, he becomes really emotional. 
He can barely get the words out. His eyes fill up with tears. I trusted the Lord last week. I asked him to be merciful to me, to save me, to, to rescue me. The Lord brought me to realize that I have lived a sinful life. I've cheated people. I've stolen from people. I've hurt people. I've lived a wicked life. But through various different ways, God has saved me. I trusted him last week. I'm amazed that he would show mercy to someone like me. I'm just starting this journey, but I would love to be a member here. I want to commit the rest of my life to serving the Lord because of what he has done for me. And now everyone else in the room has tears in their eyes. They're overwhelmed at the man's story. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's not so clear after all. But most people listening to Jesus tell this parable live for the first time would have been thinking, that Pharisee sounds like a great guy. And they would have got the shock of their life when Jesus said that the tax collector was the one who was justified rather than the Pharisee. Which brings us to the two points of application from this parable. One, the first step to forgiveness is realizing you need it. Do you know what the Pharisee's problem is in this parable? He has no place for mercy. He, he has a religion where he has no need. He's approaching God on his own terms. All, all that he does tells us that. His very public position tells us that. The way that he prays tells us that. Did you see how his prayer starts with God? But that's where the mentions of God ends. After that, it's all I, I, I. He uses the word I five times. He's, he's boasting. He's exalting himself. There's one thing he doesn't say, though. He doesn't admit his sin. He can do without a savior. His religion isn't a religion of salvation. The thing is, as a Pharisee, he would have known what Isaiah said. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. He would have known those words, probably by heart, but he doesn't acknowledge them in any real sense. Compare him to the tax collector. He's one of the richest men in Jerusalem, but he knew that before God, he was spiritually and morally bankrupt. He stands far off by the door, out of the way, out of people's eye lines in the shadows. He realizes that he needs forgiveness more than anything else, and that's what he asks God for. The first step to forgiveness is realizing you need it. In our day, in the era of the church, God works by his spirit to convict us of sin. The spirit illumines our hearts and minds to see the extent of our rebellion and brings us to realize that we must trust in Christ. The first step to forgiveness is realizing that we need it. Second point of application. J Jesus is the only one who can give us what we really need. Well, well, what is it that we need? How, how can we approach God? There's that classic question, suppose you were to die tonight and stand before God, and God asked, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What does the tax collector say? He says, be merciful. Have mercy. I'm saved by your grace alone. Not saved by grace plus my contribution. I'm saved by grace. 
He has nothing to offer God except his guilt. It's Archbishop William Temple's line, the only thing of our very own which we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. The tax collector understands justification by faith alone and justification by grace alone. The point Jesus is making is that he is the only one who can give us what we need. And that's a righteousness that's not our own, a perfect righteousness, a perfect record, a perfect life, a life that hasn't been marked or stained by sin. This parable is one of the most important parables in Luke and in the New Testament. It's electrifying stuff from Jesus. Imagine if you'd heard it live. You would have heard a pin drop. Imagine the reaction of people when they heard it. Imagine the fury of the Pharisees when they heard it. It probably added fuel to the fire of their anger, an anger that came to its awful climax as the person who told the parable was put on the cross. The one who tells the parable gives us what we need by going to the cross. When we talk about justification by faith alone, we're talking about about justification by Christ alone. Faith is the sole instrument by which we grasp hold of Christ and his justice and his righteousness is transferred to us. God imputes or counts the righteousness of Jesus to those who put their trust in him. If you trust in yourself, like the Pharisee, you stand by yourself without Christ. The the only way we can ever stand before a holy and just God is if we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We add nothing to it in and of ourselves. Jesus is the only one who can give us what we need. It's as the praise group are singing, all we have, all we need, all we want is him. On Wednesday night, we talked a little bit about looking in, looking into our hearts. And we talked about coming to the Lord's Supper and and making sure that we're genuinely clinging to Christ for our righteousness. This parable makes us think about that issue. The thing is, there's a Pharisee in all of us. There's a Pharisee in all of us. We are hardwired to think that we can reach God by ourselves. But the Bible is clear. The first step to forgiveness is realizing that you need it. And Jesus is the only one who can give us what we need. God is gracious. We're sinners, rebels, those who are unfaithful. Yet he loves us. Jesus has died for us. He has died so that we might know him. And when we trust in him, we have the promise of spending eternity with him. This table before us this morning, this unfinished meal reminds us of so much. There's so many different directions we could go in in terms of the Bible's teaching on what Jesus has done. But, but through this parable, we're humbly reminded that through Christ, we receive a righteousness that is not our own. That the first step to forgiveness is realizing that we need it and that Jesus is the only one who can give us what we need. Two men go to church. Who gets saved? Not the person you expect. But that's how God works. In the lives of people who least deserve it and in the lives of people you least expect. Are you looking to Christ alone for your righteousness? Are you clinging to him genuinely, truly? The thing is, if you're not, it'll be exposed one day. Let's wind the imaginary tape forward from membership interviews in First Jerusalem Presbyterian Church 
to the interviews on the last day. And let's assume that nothing has changed with the two characters in the parable. The Pharisee is asked by God, why should I let you into my heaven? He says, well, look at what I have done for you. I have fasted more than I needed to. I have tithed more than I had to. I prayed more than most. I lived a much better life than the majority of people. And God replies, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, gets in. I never knew you, nor you me. Depart from me forever. And the tax collector is asked by God, well, why, why should I let you into my heaven? And he says, because of Jesus. Because he is my only hope. Are you looking to Christ alone for your righteousness? Are you clinging to him genuinely, truly? Two men go to church. Who gets saved? The Pharisee or the tax collector? It's an electrifying parable. It's a shocking parable. It's a parable full of good news for all those who look to Christ in faith. I tell you, this man, this woman, this boy or girl who trusts in Christ went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that in this little story, you've reminded us that we need the righteousness of Christ to be rescued and to know you. We pray that in these moments, we would look to Christ as our savior from sin and as the one who, who gives us what we truly, eternally need. How we thank you for the cross today. How we thank you for all that Jesus has accomplished. We pray that as we shortly move towards your table, that you would continue with us and that you would bless our time together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.